Welcome to Talking in Stations, a podcast about EVE Online. I'm your host, Madderall, with Carneros and Elise. How are you guys? Good morning. Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Nice to be back. Howdy, howdy. Back after a long absence. And that's Jen Tan, who's going to be our guest today, who's uh, practically part of the family. So it's going to be a nice, familiar show today. Uh, and we have a lot to cover. Uh, most of it is going to be what we would call meta news, but uh, we'll hopefully get some stuff that's going on in-game as well. All right, everyone. Um, gosh, where should we start? <laughs> look, at, Let's look at our show notes. <laughs> well, uh, this weekend has been crazy. It was open comms, and then it was push to talk, and then and the fireside and the meta show all talked to some degree about the initiative three as we as we refer to them now i guess okay so let's go back and like into that at all yeah we do we need to conclude it right like we need to we've talked about it on a couple of shows we've also broken to to uh news coverage talked about it chill streams so we need to cap it off with a summary of what happened and the conclusions and then move on anybody care to summarize the events I can do okay, it. Okay, we also did the Thursday live stream. So I could do that a little bit like that again. On April 8th, there was an initial uh, uh, statement posted, and it was in the Eve launcher, so you couldn't actually miss it if you play this game. And it said, Brisk Grubal removed from the Council of Stellar Management 13. <laughs> Possible electronic device problems, non disclosure information, blah, blah, blah maybe even worse profits ill-gotten gains yes ill-gotten gains lots of flag words that the pr department would have said don't say that but whatever a week goes by and the pot has been stirred mind you the the press were putting articles up within two hours and don't tell me that was just organic but whatever and then a week goes by and ccp puts up an interim statement, okay? We're doing an investigation, okay? Okay, we'll tell you more when we can, and we might have to apologize or something like that. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> then we go away for another week. The pot is still stirring. Stuff's happening. People are talking about it. We can't talk about anything else. We still can't talk about anything else. What's the matter with us? <laughs> yeah. And then on, I guess it was Thursday this week, they post another statement. CSM can't say anything. Poor Jintan is trying to keep a straight face right now. Uh, just, oh, yeah. And doing actually really well. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, he serves on the current CSM, it, so he can't say anything. Don't say anything. And then uh, uh, they, they come back and say, all right, the three individuals who were banned are now no longer banned as soon as we can unban them. And, and we're looking into the possibility of any reparations that might be needed. And um, yeah, no. Because they unbanned them during an Icelandic holiday. So there was nobody at work to unban them. Uh, well, and then they didn't say too much this time, which is probably good. Uh, and, then, uh, and then some of the news sites actually posted re retractions slash corrections within, you know, minutes to hours, but not all of them. How's that? Well, it's almost there, almost there. Then there's some news came out, I guess, uh, yesterday on the Meta Show that, um, well, it was just a little bit of filler in, right? Because uh, actually, 
Brisk and Pando and Shines went on open comms, which is on INN, and they told their story to a certain degree, but they couldn't say certain things. Um, and so you should watch that if you want to see like what their initial reactions were to, you know, being back. And then the next day they met a show also on INN, uh, covered like how they actually got into trouble in the first place. And it turns out that, um, it is, it is, um, I don't know how it's not necessarily speculated cause that's too weak a word, but it was put forth by the Matani and, uh, uh, the meta show that, it was Peniff Smash who bought the Moloch and turned turned that over to uh, Killer B, and Killer B couldn't couldn't just not turn it in, so he had to pass it through to CSM, and that's how it got to CSM's attention that this Moloch had been sold, which triggered, I suppose, an investigation, uh, and then uh, led to the bannings of the FCs, which led all the way back to Brisk. So. So here's the things that we we do know after looking at this for a long time. Yes, Brisk did something that wasn't necessarily against NDA, but something that was looked down upon, and that was talking to a player, a high-profile player, who has stakes in the game, right, Uh, about his idea being good or bad or being agreed to or not agreed to by other CSM. and, And that isn't necessarily breaking NDA, but it is kind of saying what's going on in the room as far as what the CSM are doing. And if you think about that, that's a really bad precedent because they could basically you know, initi- go to war with each other in the CSM and break it all down if people are being advocates for their uh, alliances and saying like, well, you know, the guy and the other alliance doesn't like your idea, so it's not going forward. That is a bad precedent. So, But it's not breaking NDA. But the CSM let him know, that's a bad idea, don't do that. And he's like, okay, sorry, I didn't know. And so that was basically not a big deal. And that's why you get CS, the CCP saying, we're going to look at recording devices inside uh, these meetings. In other, words, let's, in other words, let's watch out for that sort of thing. Even though it's not breaking NDA, it breaks down the, the workability of the CSM. So then... I actually, that, on, on the devices oh, yeah. thing, that's something yeah. that I very specifically pushed for the second that this started happening. It's something I pushed for in CSM 11. It was not related to this case in particular. It's just something that I strongly believe. You'll note that whenever I'm in the CSM, I take all my notes analog. I use pen and paper because I feel that's significantly safer. And it's just the best way to ensure that you don't have an easy way to leak stuff. It's a little bit like no Iron Man, no vision kind of rule, though. Hmm. (laughs) I don't know what that means. Never mind. You haven't seen Avengers yet, have you? No spoilers. That was not a spoiler. That was not a spoiler. All right. That wasn't a spoiler. I saw Avengers and that I didn't get. What are you saying? Okay. So the point is, and and, uh, Jen, I didn't ask you to jump in because I don't want to compromise you. I know you've been naming yourself no comment for the last few days. So I'm not going to drag you in. But if you want to add anything, I would really appreciate it because we like insight. And so you were saying that you were pushing for that? You were were saying that was something that you were pushing for despite what happened here? Um, No, I just wanted to clarify that it wasn't related to this case. I know there was a lot of speculation about that early on, which is unfortunate. Uh, That was, you know, I feel partially responsible for that, so I want to clear it up. Hmm. Okay. So you're saying you brought it up before, or...? It's something that I brought up previously, and when in... Because obviously, CCP came and spoke to all of us about this over the course of the process. Um, I... 
this is something that I brought up to them repeatedly, and it was something that they then went. Why did you bring it up? Because it's something that I that has been perceived as a problem by CCP of the CSM in the past. There's been a long-standing feeling from members of CCP that we are in some way leaking, and I wanted to take this opportunity to say, hey, you know, maybe we do have something here, because that was the initial story that was told to us. Um, let's use this as an opportunity to put in some what I believe are common sense precautions to prevent a potential leak in the future. And to just uh, add a little bit more to what Jintan is saying, like uh, for the Alliance tournament, uh, CCP already does enforce the, the no electronic devices in the, in the broadcast room uh, just to, you know, remove any shades of doubt. Right, that that anything nefarious has happened. Yeah, it was. It was. It's not a thing about hey, this has been abused before, and we want to prevent it from being abused in the future. It's uh, this is something that causes doubt in the people that we're trying to have trust us and work with us on a close. So we would like. So I think it's important that we remove that. By the way, I love the birds in the background. Thank you. It's the advantage of them being out in the sticks. <laughs> I thought it was a clock, a cuckoo clock of some sort. Okay, so so that is something that I, so I guess it ebbs and flows. Like some CSM are tight about that, and then after a while it loosens up. Because I mean, you had Brisk taking pictures uh, and using his laptop to communicate with uh, Pando inside the meeting, which I thought was um, I, I actually thought it was okay. But I, I figured that you guys would, I mean, it just wouldn't be okay. You guys would say, "Hey, that's not all right," but whatever. Okay. So that's probably where that part of the uh, warning comes from, from CCP. So we'll, we'll fast forward to the, how did this actually start? Well, it looks like it started by uh, PNF Smash buying the Moloch off the Initiative FC Darkshines and then telling Killaby, I bought this Moloch off uh, this FC, you know, and he's selling it probably because uh, of, you know, a, B, or C reasons uh, that he learned from the CSM, which is illegal and, and not a good idea. And so Killaby took that information, handed it over to CCP, and CCP then looked at it and said, yep, that's, that looks like a violation, and let's ban these guys. It's, it's possible, by the way, that there are nerfs coming for these ships that we don't know about. But right, right. There are also two nerfs that we do know about, in my opinion. One, one is haw weapons. Haw weapons, all Titans, including a Moloch. And then the other one was um, the nerf to uh, uh, f to remote repair uh, overly affects a Moloch compared to an Avatar. Because remote repair no longer can make them super powerful with their additional tank in a massive fleet setting with tie-dye. Okay. Neither of those nerfs are going to change the heart of a person who really wants to own a Moloch and suddenly say, no, I don't want to own it anymore because they nerfed Haws or they nerfed, you know, these reps. I don't understand that. Maybe there are some people who that's enough to put them off the whole subject, but I don't, I, mm. that doesn't resonate with my guts. So I, you know, Okay. I, I poo-poo the whole idea, honestly, that people are reselling Molochs for that reason. They were reselling Molochs over and over again before any nerf information came. 
Right, and that was part of their defense. But I want to go back to PNF Smash because it's oh, kind of interesting. It's all right. PNF Smash then is, um, he's a, he was a, a goon swarm guy before. He was like a true goon, right? Like the guys that came from something awful for him. Uh, and at least you can correct me if I'm wrong here. And then he went over to PL. I don't know when. And he stayed in PL. And then PL had some problems where they were changing leadership or, you know, there wasn't a lot of activity. I don't know what the problems were, if there were, or challenges, we should say. Uh, and PNF Smash left with his, because he's a CEO of his corporation. Uh, is it Elitist Ops? Or? Yeah, Elitist Ops. Uh, Israel yeah. is their, their ticker. Israel. What's the deal with PNF Smash? What do you know about him? I mean, I've known PNF ever since I've, pretty much ever since I've been in PL, more or less, uh, at least my, my second stint. Um, when I was first in PL, I was in a corp called uh, the Illuminati, which was in Tri beforehand and then joined the uh, PL. And I, and I got kicked out uh, for, for fun reasons, just because uh, 20 year old CEOs love, love drama, I guess. And then <laughs> when I came back, um, is when uh, like uh, PL had entered its like, I, I guess I'd call it its golden age, its second age, where Shadu was the leader instead of Seamus. Mm-hmm. And Israel had just moved over from from Goonswarm into PL because they didn't like the direction that Goonswarm was going in. Uh, they were like, "Hey, we like to have fun. We like to kill people. We don't want to be blue to everyone." Uh, these PL guys seem okay. So Israel uh, found its home in uh, in Pendamic Legion. Then I rejoined PL again with my my new corp, uh, which I was the CEO of. And then me and Pinaf like hit it off really really well early on because we were both uh, USTZ guys. We had very similar temperaments and, and very similar ideas about how Eve uh, should be played. But, but I've heard he's a really, like, caustic character. You're nothing like that. I mean, I, I don't think he's that caustic. Like, he, he does I, I don't have know moments him at all. where he takes... Uh, he he's, did have moments in his past where he took uh, some jokes a little bit too far, but he always has a, a pretty solid head on his shoulder. I've only heard. I, I've never talked to him or anything, but okay. Uh, so so colored by the Matani. But the Matani likes you, and the Matani does not like Peter Smash. <laughs> well, anyway, I don't know where I heard that. It could it could have been from uh, Goonswarm people who don't like. Him. I don't know, and I take it back. I just heard that he was, but uh, and I see you're the complete opposite of that sort of thing. I mean, there are a lot of people that dislike Peter. Right? He he doesn't. He definitely doesn't care what you think about him. So if he thinks he could rile you up by doing something, he definitely will. I'm really disappointed that he didn't say that he knew you, Mataron. I think that would have been the perfect ending to uh, the little clip that was going around on Reddit the other day. Uh, I, what, what clip was that? I didn't read that. Uh, from the Meta Show last night. Did you watch it yet? Or... No, I, I haven't seen it. I had it summarized for me, but I'll, I'll go back and look at it. Um, so here's the thing. It seemed, they seem to say that a couple things are going wrong here. One is that a PL guy is in Snuff, because Peanut Smash went over to Snuff. Uh, and it seems to fit his uh, modus operandi, right? He doesn't want to be blue. He wants to fight a bunch of people. And Snuff had just broken off from the Imperium. So Snuff was uh, had many targets available. And this seems to fit exactly what PNF Smash likes to do, which is kill as many people and different people as possible. So he goes over there. He buys this uh, Moloch and then turns in uh, his comrade, really, because Snuff and Initiative are friendly to one another. And it looks like PL is is using an agent to to take down an alliance. And if it were true, it would be really interesting 
but I don't know if it's true. Yeah, I, I think that's like the furthest thing from the truth that can be, right? So when PNF left PL to join Snuff, he just didn't like the direction that PL was going. He was like, I don't like that you guys have space. Um, I don't recognize the alliance anymore from when I joined. So in order to remove any like clashes, because he was essentially like a, a number two uh, to, to running the alliance there. He's like, in order to remove any clashes, I'm going to just remove myself from the equation. He identified Snuff as someone that was playing to the way PL played similarly in between like 2010 and 2015. So he's like, yeah, I like this. Uh, this is this is my jam. But uh, he does have characters in uh, the initiative and other like goon groups. He's got a lot of spies, as most FCs do. Um, his favorite thing to do in Eve is to like uh, set up baits and traps for people, like to catch supers and do fishing stuff. But I don't think like it's it's not in his character to like go out of his way to try and ban an alliance from the game, right? He doesn't. He thinks like he has more respect for the game than that, right? Because if you take out these two FCs maliciously, you essentially give initiative the death sentence. The initiative is one of like a handful of alliances that actually PvP. So I can't see that being like PNF going, mm, I'm going to get goons by taking initiative out of the picture. Like, I think there's way easier ways he could have done that. That's not really what motivates him, right? It's it's in-game combat. And yeah, I, I think he'd much rather say like, hey, initiative, look at all these goon frags I'm getting. Why don't you join me? And I think that would work way better than, hey, I just banned your entire alliance's FCs because I'm a dick. All right, so the narrative then that's being pushed by the uh, the meta show and I guess the Imperium, um, you would say that's not accurate. Instead, I mean, I don't, I don't have any information on it. So like, mm -hmm. I, I'm just going on what I know about Pnef, a, a dude I've known for like ten years. Um, I mean, the Matani's known him for for a similarly long time as well. Like, so who know? Maybe, maybe he's just got a different view of the situation. There was a there was a part that Haiwanto was saying yesterday, which was, so okay, was Dark Shines at Silver Moloch? It was Brisk who was sitting in the room. Why did Pando get barbecued? And uh, and and there were a couple things. Oh, he might have been in conversation to some degree with, uh, with Brisk at at one point during the conversation. There was just no really clear evidence that said why Pando would need to be barbecued. So that was kind of an open question that not that didn't I didn't feel got addressed well yesterday. Not that I'm in the habit of helping Haiwanto pose his questions. <laughs> Hi, if you're watching, I don't particularly trust you. Um the uh so Haiwanto is the CEO, the leader of Snuff, uh, and Snuff is allied with Initiative. So this is all kind of interesting. And yeah, it, it looks like uh, PNF Smash has guys in Snuff. So he might have that might have been an alt that it was sold to because Darkshine sold it to somebody in Initiative, not in Snuff, because Snuff is not part of Imperium. That would have been a problem. So he sold it to a guy in his own alliance. But then that guy promptly went over to Snuff and took the Moloch with him. Yeah, it's a it's a common way that people use to because the Imperium have this uh, this rule of you can't sell these things outside of the Imperium, right? Because they don't want to give it's it's a longstanding thing that they've had. They they don't want to give away these big weapons of war to that they've been mining and they've been producing for cheap costs to to their enemies, right? So people just use bias to snuggle these things, smuggle these things out. Yeah, I th and I think that comes from uh, the Northern Coalition sold uh, 
the Russians uh, in drone regions a bunch of supers that, uh, that the drones then used to destroy Northern Coalition a long time ago. Not NC DOT, but the old Northern Coalition. Uh, okay, so those are the so that's what we've learned. That's the wrap up, and then CCP comes back and says, "Hmm, not enough inf not enough hard evidence." I don't know. That's overspeaking, isn't it? Uh, they basically said, "We're sorry. We've looked at it again. We're re reversing our decision." And so there is no bans for anybody. Brisk is not lifetime banned. And neither of the FCs are banned for a year, which would have been a lifetime for them because they are active all the time. And then uh, right after that, uh, Brisk said, even though he was reinstated on the CSM, he was like, I'm going to resign. And uh, I can't blame him for that. Like, that's, some, that's just a straightforward thing. He didn't say that he was uh, not going to run for the next CSM, but he just said, you know what, I'm done with this. Doesn't this one end in like another six weeks or two months or something? Yeah. I don't believe yeah. the dates have been publicly announced yet. Well, and by yeah. Based on the usual rhythm of when we used to have E-FanFest in Reykjavik, it would, it would usually be around this time. You know, they'd have a, at E-FanFest, they'd, they'd typically have sort of like one last set of meetings with both CS, outgoing and ingoing CSMs together or something to kind of pass a torch, and it would roughly go on from there. Yeah, so the comments in... Um... In chat here, like, yeah, no evidence and no collusion and all that other stuff. And I, I just want to say, in this case, um, CCP reversed themselves. We don't know why they initiated this in the first place, and we don't know why they decided not to pursue it. We don't know. There could have been some evidence, but it wasn't strong enough to support like a like a firm understanding of the situation. It could have been a misunderstanding. It could have been a, a confluence of four or five factors that that uh, together seemed like uh, something that should have been bannable, but if you looked at it separately, they just didn't, they all could have had alternative explanations. There can be a number of reasons that CCP unbanned or decided not to pursue the initial bans. But I don't think CCP just took it um, it would surprise me if CCP just looked at it and said, yeah, this is a big coincidence. We ought to act on this. And, and it would surprise me if it was that simple. So there must have been something that was pretty a pretty strong narrative there for them to follow. Jintan, last last chance for you to comment. No comment. And to say hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> And the parallels, the parallels with real life are completely um, on the... Uh, they, they look kind of funny because you have a politician in trouble, there's an investigation, and not enough evidence comes back to convict kind of thing. In this case, they could have it could have just been a complete misunderstanding. In real life, it certainly wasn't a complete misunderstanding, and there's a lot there. Uh, so the whole no collusion and all that BS that gets thrown around is like, just doesn't work here. I want to apologize for my expressions in like the last half of that because people have started sending me jokes and DMs to try and make me corpse out to, to, to do something in response to what you guys were saying. And I gotta say, they're pretty funny. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that's how the, the, the Initiative 3 saga ends. And, you know, the good news is of all this is that CCP didn't bury this because it would have been unjust if they had apparently and two it's that you don't lose players like pando uh that are 
you know, important. Here's our most influential player last year because he had done uh, a lot of things or had basically been involved in a lot of things that created a lot of um, action inside of EVE Online. So we don't want to see players like that go. And we certainly don't want to lose faith in some of these guys that we, you know, like, right? Like a Dark Shines or Pando or Brisk. So... Yeah, you don't want to see content creators removed from the game unless there's something like super egregious for it, right? So yeah. uh, I'm glad that they they didn't get kicked out. And I'm actually more glad that nothing bad happened, like no nefarious shit happened, because it's always uh, this one like lingering thought with the CSM that the naysayers have is, oh, it leaks all the time. Uh, they actually, <laughs> the naysayers have like two thoughts that kind of contradict each other. It's either the CSM has no power or the CSM has so much power and they leak to their buddies all the time. So it's just like this tool for furthering uh, empires. So I'm glad that uh, this wasn't a thing where the CSM was found to be, be leaking. Because that would that removes credibility. And the, the current group of the CSM has been working really hard for terms and terms and terms to like kind of restore it to a point where it's uh, more respected. Yeah. All right. So... We could start, uh, so we'll move on and talk about CSM in general. They're about to start a new cycle, I think, in a few weeks. It's very ambiguous when it starts. Uh, I think we're going to do some interviews, so we'll have to figure that out pretty soon. And some people have announced, but we don't know if it's true, uh, like Elo Knight. Uh, and some people have said they're not going on for sure, like um, Commander Ace, who himself is worried about uh, it uh, affecting his real life since he's a U.S. government um, employee. Uh, Jintan, are you going to run for re-election? I am not going to be running for re-election. I've done three years in the office, and I think it's time to let someone with more kind of, uh, I don't want to say enthusiasm, but like more energy take over my position. Do you recommend it? In what way? <laughs> it's a good experience for an ex for an established, uh, uh, informed Eve player to come in and give back to the community in this way. Are you asking me? Is it fun slash entertaining slash something I perceive to be like good for you as an individual? The answer is fucking no. I think I feel like it's taken twenty plus years off my life. Would I recommend it as a way to help the game? Yes. Um. Okay, I guess that's, that's a helpful. qualified yes. Yeah. Uh, so you're not running. You said though earlier that you were not going to run, or did you just make that decision? I thought I heard that a while ago. No, I'd already made the decision. I wasn't going to uh, rerun for a, a fourth term. I feel like three terms is plenty. Not for any particular reason. I just wanted to. Not that I. Sorry, not that I am talking down to people who are going to stay on for four terms. I think that's perfectly fine. I just uh, want to focus on my real life. You know, I'm pretty young i'm going to focus on university for a couple of years and uh, move forward with my real life and that means i can't be spending you know 10 to 15 hours a week on the csm yeah well, we have i don't seen... know how people did it for... i did it for two terms and i i completely burned out right after the second one i was like oh it's too much i don't know how people do three and four terms was it but a heavy load found in the past though that having someone from the previous that stays over helps with knowledge transfer and getting people up to speed faster do you know of any who are going to run for re-election from CSM 13 to 14? I believe it's, I believe Aerith is going to rerun. I'm pretty sure he said that publicly. Um, I what think Sword Steve Dragon is, yeah, Steve Vernukin is also going to run again. Um, 
I believe it's only might, this might be his final term, though. So, you know, make sure you definitely vote for Steve this time. It'd be shame for him to lose his final re-election. He's good. This'll, He's a good man. He's a good man. This will be his fifth year. He's nearly up there with Trevor now, isn't he? In terms of and then you uh, said the Sword terms Dragon. Of... Who else? Yeah, I think Sword Dragon is running. Um, I don't believe Killer B or. Can we get a list up? Do you have the like the, the full list of everyone's names? Because I'm going to miss someone if I don't, and I'm going to feel really bad. Let me look. McLeod, let me look at our producer McLeod is scrambling in the background. Hopefully, he doesn't spill his beer. Never mind. I found it. I googled it. All right. So. No. Uh, Steve's going to be running. Merkel Chen hasn't publicly announced, as far as I'm aware. Uh, Judge hasn't—I don't believe Judge has announced he's going to run yet, but I think it's highly likely he will. Uh, Briscoe Bull is obviously not running. I'm not running. Aerith's going to run. Suetonia's not running. Uh, Killer Bee's uh, not decided. Sort Dragon has not decided, but I believe is going to run. And Anominate has not decided, but I believe is going to run. Hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to... Uh interviewing some of these people when it comes to CSM campaign season. Carneros, is this not something you would do? Well, you worked for CCP, so. Well, I, I have a different problem. You can't, you can't be uh, an, a game dev and run for NDA reasons. Remember, oh, right, right. Um, yeah, this was um, uh, Eve University president uh, who was working on Planetside Two and H One Z One at the time that uh, they were they were talking about Dust Five One Four, and they felt that that was competitive, and he, we shouldn't have game devs anymore on CSM. Uh, Keldum Ravon, yeah, Keldum. yeah, Keldum Ravon rule, you might call it. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, it's going to be very interesting to see who decides to run the CSM action. I heard that Mike Azariah is going to run again, and that's going to be very interesting. He's kind of an old, uh, an older candidate um, from before my time who's coming back to run again, and I think that'll be very interesting because the CSM has changed a lot in its demeanor and how it operates since Mike ran originally. And I think there's a good chance he'll get on, so it'll be cool to see how that works. Yeah, I really like Mike as well. He's always had it out there for the newer players. Um, and he's his, always had his heart. His heart's in the right place. Yeah. I'm also probably going to do some interviews of my own, uh, Matteron. Oh. We, might, we could work together on that. We yeah, can talk. Be, yeah. Yeah, we can talk. We can talk. Yeah, let's... Um, I, actually, I think I, I think I recruited you onto INN before I took off. And uh, you put out a really cool article uh, recently. You didn't do, didn't, didn't do much until now. What's going on? Oh, no, I, I put out articles. I put out um, the problem with war decks, remember, a while back, mm. um, before the changes were announced there, where I kind of broke down why I thought they were a problem and kind of, I guess, the CSM's perspective um, brought that to the public. And then I did the same thing with the October changes. Remember when those were a huge, huge, uh, not catastrophe, but they were something that was received very poorly by the player base. And... Some of those things were things with, that were genuine problems and did get fixed, and I'm very happy to hear that. Um, but you know, some of those things were things that we uh, that eventually just turned out to be the correct answer, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, you've put out a new article, and um, I want to talk the about one, it. But the Bush Ravens one, the Bush Ravens. But before we do that, I just want to finish up CSM because there's still some stuff going on there, and and that is. 
I want in the audience, because we have like you know nearly 200 people, X up if you're going to run for CSM so we can see what, what, it, what it looks like. Anybody out there? And X up people you would want to recruit, like uh, Dirk McGurk, because uh, I saw that a few times. All right. Uh, you going to so run again, Elise? And then, um, no pass, all hard pass on that one. I don't think I'm electable <laughs> anymore, honestly. That's an interest. That's an interesting perspective. But I think I think, I think you're still electable. I think you got the name value. Only people that played for a long time still remember me, but it's fine. I think Dirk would be a really entertaining CSM. I think he wouldn't like it, but I think he would be entertaining. <laughs> I would. I would not put Dirk forwards personally. <laughs> uh, I, I think I I'm have a lot of love for that guy, but I don't think. Um, also, we do know that I, Dunk is entertaining the idea. I, uh, very popular from uh, New Bros. What is uh, Brave Newbies? And look at this. We have a few X's here that are surprised. I hope these are real, but we have Mrs. Moses who might run. She's from Streamfleet, which would be very interesting. Yeah, Moses is someone who I'd love to see run, actually. She's yeah. got a very like uh, level head on her shoulder, and she's dealt with CCP a lot recently. Like she's one of those people who would have that that CCP interface experience that you don't that you get from kind of experienced candidates just right out of the gate. And I think that's important not to underestimate because at the end of the day, you're trying to communicate within CCP. You're not you're not going to be immediately handed all the opportunities to you. You have to know who to ask and who to talk to and who to. You know who who can arrange meetings and stuff like that. Yeah, um, and the uh, Billy I think also said that he might run. Um, uh, I believe I believe I think did he say that? Uh, and I know Elo has said it. I don't know if he's joking or not, but we'll find out. Uh, and then uh, Wally Mart. I don't know. I'm sorry, I haven't heard your name before, at least in in, in Discord. But you know, and there's other people xed up, which is kind of funny. All right, now we can move on to. Uh, I just want to actually point on something. Um, yeah, Maury, yeah. Smith, Maury Smith says, I just hope we get representation from different alliances and playstyles this time. To which I remind people that the best way to change that is to vote for people who represent your playstyles and your alliance. Thank you. Can we do five minutes on this? Because this is a, a, a peeve of mine. And that is, uh, how, are people supposed to, how are people supposed to change out block candidates? Is there a way to do that? What do you mean change out block candidates? Just don't vote for them. Vote for someone else. Like I, most... I don't. You aren't. You are never. Like there is. There is deliberately no API to show anyone how you have voted, and that is something that the CSM and CCP both agrees is a good thing. We don't mind people thinking for themselves. If you think someone is going to be a better candidate than your block candidate, vote for that candidate instead of the block candidate. You know, the, the, by and large, block candidates have not been bad for the game, in my opinion. But that doesn't mean that. The fact that there is a perception that the CSM is only block candidates is bad, isn't bad. Like I don't perceive myself to be a block candidate, but I know that other people do perceive me to be that, and I know other people can do perceive Suetonia to be a goon, even though he's really not. You know, yeah. It, it, you know, there's a lot of stick that's been put on this CSM because there are eight people who are blue to goons, whereas the problem is that yeah, goons are kind of blue to half the universe right now. Of course, like a significant percentage of the CSM is going to be blue to them. Well, at least let me bring you in on this one too. Uh, do you feel like there is actually good representation of the player base? In, I mean, uh, in it's um, it's hard to say because I'm not on the CSM. But when I was on the CSM, like half of the room 
actually more than that. When I was in the CSM, I think like 80% of the room were NullSec people. And NullSec people, you're like, oh man, these guys only care about NullSec. But when these guys started, like you're if you're a NullSec player, you started in high sec. You know what was lacking there. You started, you moved to low sec maybe, and then you know what's wrong there. And then you moved to null sec. You didn't just like completely forget everything that happened beforehand. And maybe you have alts. Maybe you do industry stuff. Like I know um, a lot of the FCs also do a lot of industry stuff. They know what's wrong with the industry aspect. So, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's it's bad to have a bunch of uh, uh, null sec people on the CSM. It's always good to have diversity, of course, but it's not like, oh, these guys have never been to high sec in their life. They don't know what it's like. Blah. Like, uh, I'm sure Vili would have better knowledge than almost anyone else about how uh, high sec wars like break down. Because as uh, a Tappy member, he's got a keep start to defend and perimeter every week. Right. It was so maybe I actually spent like the past six months playing in high sec. So like basically. So I kind of resent the accusation that I don't play in high sec and a lot of other things like that. You know, I will definitely admit that there are a lot of CSM members that don't, but I think you would be surprised how much time, say, someone like Aerith spends in high sec, considering how much goddamn money he makes out of Jitter and trading and stuff like that, and how much how much money he makes from high sec industry. You know, these people do experience all parts of the game because all parts of the game impact all other parts of the game. I'm not a wormholer. I've used wormholes to get to other locations in EVE Online because it's one of the most effective ways of traveling around the game. I might not live in LOSEC, but I've led campaigns against people in LOSEC. Um, you know, I fought uh, HTP when they were in Karam. I fought PL when they were in Asar. I've fought in Masaba, you know, all around NullSec. You can't look at someone's taker and just assume that that, sum, uh, that summates their entire game knowledge. You know, there was Sullen Decimus in CSM 11, and I remember because he was one of the biggest advocates for wormholes and wormhole quality of life in that CSM, and he was a Bastion member. When you guys, but he did out? spend half his he did spend half his time in wormholes. He he did though. He did like it was it, he he basically he ran your wormhole corp from what I understand. He ran a wormhole corp. The level to which it was affiliated with the Bastion was uh, ten, tenuous at best. But oh. uh, you know, we we didn't care. We had a an understanding about it. Uh, the Bastion is not a wormhole organization, uh, and it works better if people want to do it on unaffiliated corps. You know, sometimes. But you know, the question you asked was, uh, do we feel that the CSN members are representative of the player base? And I would I would suggest a second question, which is, is the CSM representative of the voting player base? And I would say yes. Yeah, and that's a sad reflection of the the state of how well the CSM is advertised. I, I, we've said for like the CSM has said for a long time that we wish that CCP would put more emphasis on getting the CSM to more casual players, like. We are fine with the people voting more and pushing us out if that leads to there being a perception of more legitimacy in the CSM, because we want the CSM to be a legitimate institution that drives positive change in the game, because only players can bring to CCP a player's perspective of the game. It's just fundamentally different when you're inside CCP, how you interface with the game. And unfortunately, that's something that we can't 
truly address as players. Like, there's there's no way that you're going to ever have someone inside CCP who is a block level FC or who can talk with a significant amount of understanding in a block block level FC for you know more than like eighteen months. By that point, the game has developed so much beyond where their time of expertise was relevant that they no longer can talk meaningfully on the subject, in my opinion. You yeah, know, a lot they... of it is... Oh. No, and that's not to say that they, they're dumb. They obviously understand the basics, but there's but you need to be able to refresh that knowledge. You need to be able to bring CCP like an up-to-date snapshot of where the meta is, where the game is, what people know, what people are doing, what people think is strong, what people think is weak what's powerful why it's perceived to be powerful what's not powerful why it's perceived to be not powerful what's perceived to be a problem in the game why it's perceived to be a problem in the game what's perceived to be a good thing in the game you know if they release a new feature they still want feedback on why it seemed to be good as well you have you can't just come in to csm with a negative mindset you have to be able to come in there with an almost like i don't even want to say a focus group mindset you want to be there to communicate everything that the community has to say that is worthwhile to ccp i think the the i mean that's really well said about what why the csm is is super important um but i think i've talked to a lot of people about this over the years uh people who aren't affiliated with larger groups people who are just in small corporations and the, the issue is always a perception thing right they're like well i voted one year the guy i got i voted for didn't get in or the guy i voted for didn't really do what i wanted so, you know, this whole thing's stupid. I don't want to deal with it. Let someone else deal with it. Like, and the perception that, like, oh, these blocks all run the the CSM, like the GSM, then why would I even vote, blah, 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 blah. So it's, it's very much a perception thing um, for a lot of people, even even if yeah. they are aware of it's, what it it's is. It's also really annoying when, you know, when I personally and Suetonia and other members of the CSM have, like, advocated repeatedly for stuff that hurts us in the game because we think that it's bad for the game. Like, I don't know if anyone actually went back and looked to the balance minutes of the last summit and compared them with the patch that CCP actually put out. We wanted way harsher nerfs for super capitals. We wanted way harsher nerfs to carriers. We wanted we wanted to bring back subcaps as the primary and almost only, you know, kept tackling force in the game, because we feel that that's an important base of the ecosystem is that you start with subcaps tackling ships and then you build on top of that. And we yeah, feel and that yeah, and we feel like fight like support fighters and things like that take that out. We feel like having whores on Titans at all even is a kind of a bad thing. Uh, so, you know, Fozzie asked us in that meeting and it is minuted, so I can say this, thankfully. Well, how do you feel about just removing whores entirely from Titans? And we said, yep, we think that's fine. That was the overall opinion of the CSM, and some CSM members definitely disagreed with that. But still, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, other things that we advocated for were the reduction in the mobile drone bait, uh, sorry, the mobile depot size so that you can't put all your excavators in there, stuff like that, so that you can, um, we advocated for the buffs to the sinusaural jam, in, uh, the sinusaural field inhibitor, stuff like that, you know, it's, it's, things that we get accused of not caring about or not understanding that we actively try and make better in the game and try and improve for the players. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's been true for the CSM as long as it's been around, right? So I was on the, the CSM when uh, the Matani was on the CSM, and you would be surprised if you go back and dig through those minutes, which I don't know where they are, but I'm sure you could find them. The things that he advocates for 
were directly against what would make his alliance stronger. Like he was like, hey, we abuse these jump bridges all the time. You shouldn't be allowed to have uh, these jump bridges like right next to each other. Like I shouldn't be able to go through the universe without being risked at all. And just a whole bunch of other things. And same for a lot of the, the PL candidates. Like I, I remember saying, you know, Titans uh, getting remote links. Because uh, for a while, you used to be able to put a tracking and uh, tracking computer, not tracking computer, the remote tracking computer and the remote sensor booster on Titans, um, which was completely stupid, right? And I remember, like, I made thread after thread, like, hey, this mechanic's really dumb. Um, and just, you know, this goes out through the the history of the, the CSM. People who are on the CSM, by and large, are passionate about the game and they want the game to be in a healthy state. They don't want to turn the game into an I win button for themselves. And I know it's uh, a perception thing like, oh, no, that's, that's of course, that's what you would say. You run the CSM, but it's the, the absolute truth. Right. So sometimes CSM are wise enough to work against their own personal interests for the betterment of the game. I think that's what Eris says all the time as well. And we kind of concur from sitting on the other side of the table in, the, in those days. Yes, they did. They did, in fact, advocate for whatever they thought was best for the game and not what they thought was best for their group. What and I'll was... also point. I will yeah. also point out that I I once proposed something to the group that was the kind of thing that if anyone was prone to leak would have gotten leaked, and it would have been a big deal on Reddit for a couple of weeks, and no one leaked it. And they and we didn't do it. The whole idea was archived, put away, done. They did their job. No one leaked it. No one ever knew that they did their job. And there was an incident like that in this in my time in the CSM as well. Well, here's the thing, the, and, and this is where I get hung up a little bit. First of all, I think to um, the point that you were making that there's there's one area where uh, CCP has a blind spot, and that is large scale FCing. So maybe that's an argument for actually putting large scale CC uh, FCs in the uh, CSM. Hadn't thought of that. But the other thing is using their best judgment to for the betterment of the game, and that's where I think like you want to elect people who have uh, different play styles and different interests and different focuses. And that doesn't mean that their affiliation will tell you that. It kind of informs it partially. But haven't we really elected a lot of very combat-oriented people to the game? A lot of people were saying that this is a game that needs balance and it needs um, more puzzles to figure out if you're a combat-oriented person. And we've really let go of this the imaginative science fiction of the game. I keep bringing that up, but... Why do you think that that's the CSM's job to solve? We don't do, like... We, we don't drive what CS, what CCP works on. You have to understand that at the end of the day. Not like, that you know, but you but you uh, influence it by saying this is what the players want. And if all you guys are talking about is... is we is very we very rarely tell them what players want. That's not that's not what we oh, see ourselves as the conduit. No, so okay. here's, like, a, here's a neat little story. No, I, I don't mean to cut you off, Jen. But so here's one of the things. There was a guy on CSM7. His name was Hans Jaeger Blitzen. He was elected... like. He was one of the only faction warfare people to ever be elected. Uh, all the faction warfare community rallied behind this guy because he wrote like a white paper about it. He was like, yo, this is what's wrong. He like talked to basically every FC and every small person in faction warfare. He was like, this is what I'm going to take to CCP. And they, these faction warfare guys loved it. They were like, okay, 
we're going to vote for you. And, you know, they threw him on there and he beat out block candidates. He beat out a lot of block candidates. And so he gets onto the CSM and his, I'm not saying his only issue, but his main issue is, yo, I want to iterate on faction warfare because here are the issues that are broken with it. I am represented by thousands of players who believe, uh, believe that this is the case. And he supplies these documents, he, he makes these threads, and CCB says, well, we're not looking at doing um, anything on faction warfare for this cycle, so thanks, but I'll, <laughs> no thanks. I'll, I'll, I'll keep this information that you brought me as a great resource, but we're not doing anything with it right now. We don't yeah. have it uh, in the plan, so That is bye. a key thing to remember, that CSM members are not junior game developers. We are a way of passing on criticism and helping CCP to identify problems in their game. And, and so I think, um, yeah, and I, I think after, like, if you if you were someone that had never voted in the CSM before, and then you rallied and you got your guy on there, and then nothing happened as a result of it, you would probably say, well, what's the freaking point, right? So mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's definitely an issue of, of perception, which is why I'm always really happy when someone like Jintan comes on like a, a podcast or anything like that to explain like, hey, this is what we can do. This is what we can't do. Uh, this is what we are doing. <laughs> Don't lose hope. Hmm, okay. Well, okay. So that's CSM and uh, elections are coming up. Look for candidates and do what you want to do. Uh, the voting candidates are the ones that are going to get represented through CSM. And the CSM scandal with Brisk is no longer a scandal. It was a misunderstanding and has been corrected. Fair summary? Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's move on to this article that you wrote about uh, Bush, Bush Ravens. Why don't you tell us about uh, what's in it and why you wrote it? Yeah, this is kind of just, I wanted, what I wanted to do is I wanted to fully break down how um, the Bush Raven concept works. And that's because I didn't feel like there was any proper kind of resource on how it worked. And it was something that I was already working on because I felt it was necessary to explain it to CCP. Um, and I what I effectively wanted to do is just go through, here is everything that makes this doctrine work. And here are the things that I think are problems that are not um, command destroyers. Because I think the easiest possible, the easiest thing that it, that it would be to address with this, um, with this doctrine, if CCP ever sees it to be a problem, and it's been communicated to me multiple times that it's been perceived as a problem in wormhole space due to the difficulty of... Um, basically, it, it like what I kind of highlight in this article is it attacks, it attacks Citadel offense in a very different way to most other doctrines, because what you are not trying to do is actually beat your opponent on the grid what you are trying to do is maneuver around the grid in such a way that you cannot be threatened by the opponent by the opponents for an extended period of time. Um, and this is kind of due to the fact that um, citadels, because of how citadels work, they are not point objects in the way POSs or other previous objectives were. They have a width of, like for example, the Fortisar has a has a radius of uh, 50 kilometers, which means that it adds 50 kilometers to each side of the grid in terms of space you can move around whilst still being able to shoot the citadel. And as I kind of break down in this article, it means that one fleet can no longer 
um, kind of threaten 85% of the grid, as it was with large POSs, which were the previous largest battlefield that we've really had to deal with. I guess technically um, stations would be, but hey. Um, and that takes it down to 62% on a Fortizar. So you're just getting a little over half of the space that you can actually threaten with one fleet. So that means that you either need to split your fleet up to, to cover more area, which is one of the main ways that people have been able to counter the doctrine, or you need to be able to, um, or, or basically you're not going to be able to stop them. You're not going to be able to engage the fleet in a continuous manner whilst they are still able to engage the Citadel in a continuous manner. Does that make sense? It's a very hard concept to get across without like literal visuals, which is why there are so many in the article. Because yeah, it is just, yeah, it's it's a very like hard thing to get your head around if you're just talking. Yeah. So, but the what's the um, explain like I'm five TLDR? Is you want you want this gameplay nerfed? No, I don't actually. Well, I do want it nerfed a little bit. What I want it, what I want specifically, and what I believe the changes that I have put as the final follow-ups are is. I want to give it weaknesses that would allow it to be countered by less specific doctrines without removing them from the game overall. Like what I what I don't want to do is I don't want to see nerfs that would create make a strategy like this impossible because I believe it's a very very interesting and good strategy for the game. Like it's good that things like this can exist and that people can innovate with command destroyers and kind of the mobility that they provide to players. Um, and you can't really buff its counter, uh, Brendalan Esco, as you say in the in the chat, because the way it interacts with the game is like the way it plays around is effectively being limited by the maximum lock range that any character that any uh, ship can possibly have, which is three hundred kilometers. And when you're trying to then um, cover a seven hundred kilometer diameter sphere with just one fleet of that and you're trying to concentrate your forces onto one point, it becomes very, very difficult for you to then interact with something that can move uh, effectively, in uh, not infinite velocity, effectively 100 kilometers a second. Although that's not the practical speed. That is effectively how much they can move on a strategic level. And I don't want the command destroyers nerfed as hard as they probably would have to be to make this doctrine non-viable, because... I feel that things like being able to steal uh, excavator drones and stuff like that are super, super interesting to the game. Like they're, they're, they're really, it's really cool that you can do stuff like that as an individual and that you can kind of get one over on people. So the question I'm getting is how many times has it, has it worked for Ravens? Like how many times have they actually uh, killed Fortizars, I guess? Uh, it's not been done a huge amount of times. Like, it's not a particularly prevalent citadel-killing doctrine, from what I understand. Like, I haven't gone through all the statistics and tried to find all the kill mails to kind of back up the point that it is a problem right now, and that's not what I'm trying to state in this article. What I'm trying to do is show the mechanics that make it difficult to counter and posit small changes that would make it slightly easier to counter without removing what it gives to the game. Because I do feel like having a doctrine which can attack citadels because citadels are really kind of ass to fight on still is is probably good for the game so pando says one time uh, doesn't seem like it's a problem why do you have a solution 
for I've been, some of this article. It's something that's been mentioned to me multiple times by wormholers that it's a problem. Like, m multiple people have approached me and said that they feel it's an issue in the game. So I, I, what I did was I took a look through, and what I wanted to do was create, first of all, like the actual chunk of the meat of this article is with the exception of me like going over like specific details like how anchoring works and stuff like that this is all something that i presented to ccp when they asked me like how does the how does this doctrine work you know what what is this doctrine about how does it function they they didn't know so they asked you um not that they didn't know that they wanted our opinion, opinion not yeah. that not that they that they yeah it's kind of it's complicated to kind of talk about it because mm -hmm. obviously i can't give the context in which anything can i got you all right but they were saying we're aware of this okay so because that was a joke that like wow Jinton had to explain how bush ravens work to see that's not that's thought... not that's not how it, that's not entirely what it is they were obviously very familiar with the, the 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 way it works like the way it moves around the grid um and how that all comes together but what i thought was important to kind of address was like how very small things like the heavy interdictors work in that doctrine and what they affect in terms of what's viable as a counter to that doctrine. What I'm not asking for is like a hard nerf to them because I feel like that would be stupid. What I'm asking for is I believe a introduction of more potential counters to that doctrine. Because if you're moving around at the same speeds, if you're still looping around fast, you're still gonna be able to move before anything can warp on top of you because warped deceleration still limits the speed at which subcaps can move on a grid to be lower than the speed that Boosh Ravens can move on the grid using command destroyers, because there's no warp deceleration points, um, which is slower than the speed that a command destroyer will move a ship over. All right. Well, interesting very article. Technical topic. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's an interesting article. Give it a read. There's, what I like about it is it has a lot of diagrams, so he took some time to really explain it, to really try to communicate, uh, and you need the visuals for that, as you were saying. So check that article out. It's on uh, Imperium News. We've linked it in. We'll put it in the show notes. I think Pando is mostly just mad about the framing anyway, because I just like kind of gave a brief like history of how they work, and he's annoyed that I shorthanded the fact that like Initiative invented them two years before everyone else, and everyone was like, "Ha, this is really dumb," and then everyone realized, "Oh wait, this is actually really powerful." <laughs> really powerful, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what was used to take down um, in Wormhole Space uh, HK's two keep stars, right? Weren't they Ravens that did most of the damage there? Yeah. Ravens, but obviously there was a lot of support. Like um, yeah. HK did have, have knowledge of the counters. It's just that they couldn't bring those counters to the field um, with the amount of numbers that uh, the Initiative and all their allies brought with And also I think Initiative was able to take out uh, a keep star in, um, I guess it was Geminate, right? Uh, an NC also, keep star that was. They were also the last doctrine on the field from the Imperium attacking side in nine tac four. If you remember back to that fight, yeah. you remember the legendary million dollar battle that Pro got. Uh, sure, I remember the fight. Uh, I don't remember who was last on field, but uh, it was the initiative in their Bush Ravens. Yeah. Well, very interesting. Check out that article, and we'll we'll enjoy the discussion in it. Um, there's something else that you're involved with, Jintan, so let's switch gears to that. And that is the tournament from... Well, actually, can you describe the tournament? Yeah, I can. So what I did was 
um, you know, after CCP kind of gave us that announcement that they were going to do give support to player tournaments, I immediately contacted them because I'd been putting together an invitational for a while. It's a sequel to my original one, which was the Streamfleet Showdown Invitational one. And this time we upped it from four teams to eight teams and um, slightly modified the rule sets. We brought on a, t a huge cast. Um, unfortunately, we weren't able to stream as a result of like some continuous technical issues that, that we were running into. Um, we had to give an announcement that delayed it a week, and we eventually realized that the stream just wasn't going to be viable. So instead, we've recorded it, and I'm going to be working with Ms. Moses and the rest, uh, AQ11, Raiden, and the rest of Streamfleet to get videos edited up. And then I'm going to be working with like Elise and the rest of the casting team. Oh my god, it's an all-star casting team. I'm really, really happy with the people we managed to get on board there as well. And we're gonna we're gonna give you guys some all-star commentary to go with some all-star matches. I'm hoping, and that'll be uploaded to the Streamfleet YouTube. I kind of assume, and we're we're actually thinking about streaming it live. I think, but I I don't want to make any promises because I haven't like checked anything out with my. Yeah, it's actually a really neat. Uh, it's a really neat format for a tournament as well, right? So there have been player-run tournaments before. Um, the Anger Games is famously the one of the player-run tournaments that uh, the Imperium runs in turn. Um, then there was uh, the. Oh my God, am I actually blanking on this one? No, the Championship <laughs> yeah. Series uh, okay. for Event T, uh, which I ran. <laughs> Thank God I did not forget that. I was just testing you guys. I thought you were um, going to say New Eden Open. Oh, yeah. No, that one doesn't count. We forget that exists. Uh, the reason we forget that exists is because I lost that one. But it's okay. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, this is a great format, right? So the, the format is uh, you've got, f like, a certain amount of players. You have to uh, put in the uh, setups that you're going to run beforehand. And not the, the fittings on the ships, but just the, the ships themselves. So the, the essentially the archetypes. And then there's like a banning process. You can say, oh, I don't want this one. I don't want this one. Um, and you just have to adapt to, to whatever's left. So it, it really is neat. It adds uh, that level of uh, competitive swagger that the, these Alliance Warrant pilots really like to flex. Uh, it lets you show off their you know, theory crafting abilities. And you know the, there are mind games involved. Because like, oh, maybe you put a strong ship in a weak comp to try and get people to bait it out and all this stuff. So it's, a, it's just a really neat format. It also means that you get to see a bunch of ships that you don't normally see in kind of tournament play. Like one of the one of my favorite things that came out of this tournament was the cat was captains complaining to me that quote, the Caracal Navy and the Stabber Fleet issue are very overpowered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so when you get these types of formats, it adds like um, a kind of a new dynamic. So instead of seeing uh, the same. Uh, same type of finals that you've seen for the last two years in the Alliance Tournament, you see there's something completely new because you have to, just by virtue of, uh, of the system. So everyone kind of knows what type of ships you can bring, but not exactly how you're going to bring them. And it changes it up just enough to add a, a new competitive uh, flair to it and a nice little wrinkle. Something else we went out of our way to do was to make sure that we had um, tournament teams with like a lot of identity to them rather than just relying on uh, it to be alliances only you know we have rvb in there we have gmba in there we have brave newbies in there we have goon swarm you know kind of some fan favorites going along as well as uh, a kind of team of basically all at veterans and 
the previous winners and some other teams like that like there's a but because there's only eight teams you know that you can actually pick out and root for an individual team it's not going to be just waiting for 64 teams to grind it out to a top eight like there are and like there have been in previous dates so i'm hoping that that makes the viewing experience a little more digestible as well oh and yeah someone was complaining that the fights have at stage or something and no no unfortunately the way of the 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 realities of working with the tournament tool and the fancy UI is that you have to actually literally splice two views together to get a single view of the game like because just otherwise you have um the uh you, you know your, your capacitor uh, like that module it has to be somewhere on the screen and it co goes over the top of fancy UI. So you have to crop, you have to put like the uh, capacitor at the top of your screen, slice your screen in half, and have the top half of your screen be a completely different camera view. And you have to make sure that the timing between those two is perfect and all that kind of stuff. It's really, really difficult to do. And I'm impressed that we have the uh, technical capacity to even handle stuff like that in EVE. And it's been amazing working with Streamfleet to make that happen. I, I really have to hand the credit to them. I didn't think it was going to be remotely possible. And it probably wouldn't have happened without them. In fact, it definitely wouldn't have. Oh, that's awesome. So it got postponed, but I assume it's still going to happen. No, the, the, the first day of the tournament has happened. It, we ran all 10 matches successfully yesterday. There's a bunch of like really pretty pitches um, that Resorian took, which I absolutely recommend everyone take a look at. They're so um and we've got like a, we have a few tidbits like we uh i sent up a couple of screenshots of the opening fights and stuff like that but uh no spoilers until we get the videos out from me i'm afraid yeah resorian is crazy good at taking uh like cinematic shots of, of basically anything and uh it, the way just the way he captured uh the tournament is just incredible yeah, he was. Uh, we we might have had him on this show, but it was a little bit uh, out of his schedule, so we may have him another time. But he does um, these beautiful shots that are enhanced visually, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't use just Photoshop ability. He actually calculates uh, using software to make these shots as saturated and um, almost uh, overexposed um, as they look, he has a very unique style that he achieves through programming, which is really interesting. I think it's his magic. I think that's what he does. <laughs> yeah, I, I suspect that he does just like sacrifice a chicken to the gods, and that's <laughs> how he gets this. He does, he has little magical qualities though. When you're around him, he's very he's a very interesting guy. I, I know I've hung with him at Amsterdam. He's a really chill dude. Definitely go and say hi to him at events and tell him you love his pictures. I'm sure he'll appreciate it. Yeah, super friendly, super approachable. And the artwork just speaks for itself. It's uh, it's unique. It's a very it's very original. When when do people get to uh, see the next part of the tournament? Um, well, first of all, we gotta we gotta wait for the videos to be edited up, and then I have to organize the videos to be casted live. Because what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna be getting all the people who were gonna be on the original stream. What we're going to do is to make it up for them and all the time they spent preparing for this we're gonna make sure everyone gets to commentate at least one match so i gotta organize all of that that's gonna take a while but hopefully we'll get it out in you know two three weeks something along that line uh, i don't want to make any promises roger but it's gonna be it's gonna be great i can't wait to uh i can't wait to show it off to everyone there were some amazing matches 
the uh, Losers Decider 2 was definitely my match of the night. It was so intense. It went down to the... All right, well, check those out. We'll be looking for them. Where are you going to... Sorry, where are you putting them? Um, we'll be putting them? them on the Streamfleet YouTube channel, and we'll mm -hmm. probably find a way to stream them on Twitch as well, on Twitch, uh, on art. I'm excited. Thank you. All right, good. Okay, so thanks for that. Um, I guess we should look at some player news if there is anything to look at. I've just seen a few kill mails here and there. Um, you know what we can do? We can we can cheat a little bit and say, hey, uh, chat, if you guys have some things that you want to hear about, uh, write them up in the stream ch stream chat there, and let me let me uh, let us have a look at them. We're gonna get Bodie McBoatface again. <laughs> yeah. There is uh, one thing that I want to, to mention. Uh, tomorrow is uh, John Bellicose Day, which is uh, a commemoration for a pilot who, who took his life. Um, so tomorrow in, in Brave, they're going to have a 24-hour sign-o vigil, and uh, everyone in, from the youth community is invited to come over, pay their respects, shoot some fireworks, light some sign as well. It'll be in uh, GETAC 8, and that's, uh, that's starting tomorrow. So you can definitely show up. It's a really great... Kind of well, it's a terrible reason that we have it, but it's a it's just a great reminder of of just how the EU community does kind of pull together in, in times like this. Yeah. Um. So anybody is welcome to join that. Yeah, yeah. And anyone and everyone is welcome to come. Uh, you can even go there to shoot people if you want to. Like that's they don't really care. They just they just want people to show up. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go there and light a sign. I assume. They had a, an invitational post on Reddit on, on our eve. Yeah, I definitely recommend everyone go and do it like at least once, especially if you're a new player and you just want to go and take like a little frigate out there and just go and see kind of what the community can do as a cumulative effort. John Bellico's Day is really heartwarming in like a way that you don't often get to see from the eve community. It rarely is a... It's rarely something that's brought down by griefing or anything like that. You know, normally people are there to kind of just show their respects for full and pilot and i think that's lovely and uh john bellicose's mom and i think his sister also play eve online so you can you can see mom bellicose in space she's gone to a couple eve meets she's actually wonderful she makes like thousands of cookies and i'll just give you like random she's like oh you're an eve player here's some cookies and you're like okay thanks thanks lady that's really nice <laughs> and you find out later who she is and you're like oh shit i should have said something yeah that's that's really something, isn't it? Yeah. I don't really know how to put that into words, but that's really something. I think the actions just speak for themselves. Uh, terrible loss. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it also has come to represent other terrible losses, too. Uh, I think it. Um, I think it's relatable. When you live in a virtual world, there's are, there are also lights that go out as, as people pass away and disappear. And it's, it's just... Uh, it's kind of a black hole in space. It kind of, it kind of, um, I don't know. It kind of brings home the reality of uh, life in general, the mortal coil. My God, I got too dark. Um, let's talk about. That's great, by the way, that they're going to celebrate. That brings some light to it, and uh, hopefully, you guys will show up there and show your support for Bellicose and everybody else that has passed away that plays you online. By the way. Um, there's, um, was there a, a meetup announcement or something? I think they're holding a, a meetup in St. Petersburg. It's going to be small, though. No one's going to be. Oh, there. yeah, yeah. It'll be Eve Russia. 
It's going to be small? No. <laughs> they sold like 500 tickets or something. Oh, apparently. my God. It's uh, it's going to yeah. be absolutely massive. It's uh, it's Eve World Tour. They're they're going to St. Petersburg. Have you seen the have you seen the skin they did for the event though? Can I just like can I just tell you guys about that thing because it's beautiful. Yeah, it's get, uh, it, get it up on screen. Oh my gosh! Yeah. It's, it's this it's is next weekend by the way. It's a SeaTac J6 Memorial skin, and it's got like the constellation where SeaTac J6 is in Explain the significance. It's the, the the system where Red Alliance made their fabled last stand. So it has a lot of kind of cult. It's like a cultural touchstone in the way I guess BTAC R5 is to the whole of the player base. That was like the original one for the Russians. Like that was where they felt like they kind of forged their identity in fire and flames. So it's always been something that they have rallied around, you know. Uh, the SeaTac J has always been known as, uh, as long as I've been playing Eve, it's always been known as the jewel of the South, right? So it's like this this uh, kind of mystical system that never fell. It was, and it's like where the, the strongest core of the Russian groups always had their, their base of operation. It's their, it's their mother system. Yeah. It's their, it's their spiritual homeland. And so it's really neat that the, the skin has the constellation where SeaTac J6 is. And I'm pretty sure players weren't meant to know like what it represented, but like some of the, uh, the hobo leaks or whatever had the, the SeaTac J system like written out in it. So we kind of spoil ourselves a little bit. No, it's got SeaTac J6 written on the site. It's not oh, that okay. hiding it. <laughs> I thought that was. Uh, I thought they didn't put that in there on purpose, but that's good that they did. No, it's uh, uh, it's going to be an interesting thing though. They, we have a tournament there as well. Uh, CCP is running another of their in-person World Tour events, the Invasion World Tour. So it's going to be interesting to see who's going to get to FanFest 2020 from Russia. That'll be wild. Any any surprise guests going? Mm. Yes, it's going to be a surprise. <laughs> yeah, they'll know when they get there. Yeah, Putin will turn up. When are you guys going? When are you guys? I I, I, I value my life, so I will not be going to Russia. <laughs> uh. But uh, Streamfleet is going. Streamfleet is going to be uh, handling the broadcast, but it will all be in Russian. So us as filthy English speakers will probably not be appreciating that too much. I love it. It reminds me how international this game is. Oh, we buried the lead of this entire week. And that is that Hilmar came out and said that they were 300,000 paid accounts playing uh, every month, or accounts every month. 300,000. That is shocking. That is a shockingly high number, isn't it? That's how many, like, we haven't heard a number from CCP. Like, how many people play CCP? We don't know. We haven't known it for a long time. And then just a few days ago, very quietly, in an interview, he said there are 300,000 uh, accounts. What do you guys think of that? It's a lot of dudes. Uh, I mean, I really don't know uh, what to make of it. That sounds like a, a fair amount of people. I seem to remember a number where that was higher before, but I also don't remember a time when they've actually told us uh, a real number. Yeah, I think that at one point it was uh, half a million players, and that was about 2000, I want to say 13 or 14. Then I think the last thing we heard, maybe uh, Abrello Mayer here says that it was 400,000. Uh, and so yeah, 300,000, I think, is like, it's better than I would have assumed. Because even though the game is better than ever, um, it doesn't seem as, I, I don't know, does it seem as populated as, as it used to? I mean, it's easy to say no, but then you go to a fight 
that happens every once in a while that's got like eight thousand people involved. So you're like, eh, maybe I don't. I don't know. It, it's <laughs> like, really hard because like, uh, you always have these rose-colored glasses on when you look at things that happened. Yeah. Uh, back when you first started, you're like, oh man, there were fights every day. But then you don't remember that the fights really sucked. Uh, they were super lopsided, and then they stopped after like four or five days. My perception is that um, the game has become more centralized. What, what do you mean by that? That people like population has remained relatively static, but population has become more dense in the areas that was previously dense as people continue to feed into larger blocks. Primarily, I think because of new player organizations. Like I think the I think brave newbies. Um, and their rise showed everyone the power that just having a lot of new players gives to an organization. And because of that, you know, we saw most large organizations branch out and create their own new player organization. And as a result of that, we haven't had the same kind of um, cycle we used to have in EVE Online, where new players would rise up, feel like they were excluded from the big bad boys club, make their own alliance, beat up on an old bad boy, take over yeah. some space. You know, now people rise up through the corporate ranks almost in EVE Online. We've come to the post-industrial age of EVE Online. That makes me sad. Makes me a little sad as well, yeah. And I don't know if it's just, you know, because uh, I came up a certain way and everybody else should come up that way, but there was a certain amount of, like, planning your career. I'm going to work with these guys for a while, get my kill board up and then move over and then look for better opportunities. It was always very exciting to say like, what can, you know, what group would take me now? Yeah. I remember when I first started, it was like, I was in this like little pirate corp. It was like me and like six other people and we sucked. We were just completely awful. And then I just randomly happened to, to find a group that was uh, looking for new people. They were basically just exploiting <laughs> the the new pilots and throwing them in like griffins and blackbirds just to, to have fun and this was in like 2006 so this is before they were even good at doing that and then i was just like hey this is this is kind of fun can i fly something else or like maybe maybe and then eventually i like worked hard enough to get an invite into the main corp but i'll never forget my first kill on my first character in my first corporation where I joined this random corporation that was recruiting out of like the NPC Corp chat. It was just like three people like, hey, we're going to start a corporation. Does anyone want to join? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Because I was like 12 and I didn't give a shit. And um, like two weeks later, we like we all decided we were going to go out with some Metagun fit rifters. And we all ganged up and killed a single Republic Fleet Fire Tower that was worth more than we like <laughs> more than we made in like... <laughs> all of our EVE careers combined by that point was just insane, you know? And that means nothing to me now, but back then it meant everything to me. And I feel sad that people don't get that kind of experience anymore. Just uh, last night I was at a, a, um, a function and I was talking to a guy and he seemed like a sci-fi fan. And so uh, I asked him about... Or, I, EVE Online came up, and he said, I used to play that. And he used to play it, I think, in 2006, around there. But he was describing, he's like, oh, my God, it was like, oh, you know, it was just too much mining. Like, we mined too much, and, you know, I had to do, I had kids and stuff like that. But one time, we said, let's just do something. Let's just, let's just do something. So we finally got enough money to buy something, and we bought one of those big ships, you know? And we went out, and we uh, just undocked it, and we fought this guy and we killed him 
But then my friend who was over, he hit the keyboard and, you know, it made me do the, the thing you're not supposed to do, right? You're not supposed to take their pod because that's what erases all their stuff. But we destroyed that uh, escape pod and then he got mad and he wrote us and he called all his friends and his friends came over and they surrounded all the gates and I tried to run uh, and he got like two or three, uh, I, he called it something else, but systems and they caught up to him and caught him and killed him. <laughs> He's like, it was like crazy. And I just thought, God, that's such a small moment. I'm sure he was talking about a Vexer with drones. He wasn't even talking about like a capital ship, you know, but it was so big to him and so dramatic. I, I love talking to Nietzsche because of that, because they're all full of these stories that are just, they mean nothing. Like, an experience like that would mean nothing to you, but they say it so just earnestly and like with so much like care about, you know, 500 million esque that you just can't help but just, you can't help but love it. You know, I think if I'm going to come back to, I'm going to start playing the game a bit more again in like P, a PvP sense, and I'm probably just going to go do stuff like that in LoSec again. Just get back to my roots, you know, go do dumb stuff what happens it's really funny when you guys are talking about like some people's first experiences i i know eve gets a rap for getting um uh, back in the day it was so hardcore blah 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 and now it's like just uh, made for for casuals really back in the day it was a super casual game like you could just do like dumb stuff that made no sense and you didn't have to have any sense of or semblance of organization and you could make huge waves in the game now you have to be like hyper organized. You have to have like doctrines. You have to file, uh, go through like a strict set of how you want to play. Do you remember when people didn't have doctrines? Yeah, do you remember, when was just, you remember when you join a fleet and the MOT would be LR, 90 to 120k <laughs> armor? And that was your doctrine. Yeah, exactly. Just the doctrine was armor ships. And you're like, oh, sweet. I'll take my Dominics <laughs> to this sniper fleet. And they're like, hey, maybe don't take a Dominics. You'd be like, screw you. I like the Dominics. It looks like a potato. Uh, and they're like, well, whatever. He likes potato. Might as well go with this. And this was, we were talking about like the biggest alliance in the game that was considered too big to fall. <laughs> yeah, well, people, people would fly in Hyperions because they like the way they looked. Yeah, and the uh, attitude was like, eh, it's, it's my game. I paid the subscription. I can fly what I want. And everyone's like, well, that's, that's a compelling <laughs> argument. Sure, yes. join the fleet. I like that. And that's what the guy said. He's like, well, I, I played Eve because, you know, you you didn't have to grind. He didn't say that, but that's what he meant. He's like, you know, you didn't have to play it all the time to succeed. You could just kind of like, you know, uh, come back and your player had be, would be improved. And that was part of the magic was you didn't have to grind in this game to compete. You could kind of like play it casually. Well, anyway, so... Um, there were a couple pieces of news. I guess there's fighting between Fraternity and um, Legacy, and it looks like Elo Knight lost a fight. He was on a winning streak uh, for the last week. We'll get them. We'll get Pro God and Elo Knight on next Sunday. So check out that show, and we'll catch up with what's going on in Nullsec in the South. Also, it looks like the iHub in uh, the Spire, which has a Keepstar in that system i believe that system is i'm drawing a blank l7 tech l7 tech <clears throat> that uh ihub was saved so uh, the keepstar will not come under attack uh maybe sometime in the future but not in the near future so that's a victory for uh, northern coalition which is deployed to melpace in the drone region and is defending that area 
And so we'll see uh, a lot more combat in that area as well. I believe the drums of war are starting to be beat. And um, would you agree with that, Carneros? I, I definitely started to feel some of that this week, uh, that, that it's shifting. The winds are shifting slightly more towards the war direction. I'm hoping I'm right, but it might be wishful thinking on my part, but I, I definitely felt a little bit of that this week uh, in, in my Imperium communications, hopefully. I think if you want war, it's coming. All right. So uh, speaking of war, don't forget to watch Game of Thrones, which is uh, later tonight. And if you haven't uh, seen The Avengers, go and check that out. If you like, uh, you know, large-scale epic combat, both those are going to have a lot of that. Can we talk about the uh, the Avengers movie a little bit? No. I, I don't know. We can't give away anything, so, so no. no. I was going to do a fake spoiler, but fake spoilers are just as bad as real. They're just as bad. My brother did a fake spoiler on me one time. We were watching a movie. It was a drama. I think it was called The River Runs Through It. And he goes, uh, well, if you haven't seen that movie, you need to not listen to this next part. But he said, hey, Brad Pitt dies. And so the whole movie, I was waiting for Brad Pitt to die. (laughs) And it ruined the movie. So I've always considered spoilers a, a type of theft. And I, I really despise thieves. So uh, in talking in stations, if you spoil anything or even talk about it, we just erase it and uh, get you out of there. I like that you gave people like a warning that you're going to spoil a 30-year-old movie. <laughs> That's how much I believe in it. Like it's, you know, some people haven't read the book, so don't. I, somebody told me, I was like, you know, the, they're like, they, they they spoiled Citizen Kane for me. And that's a classic movie. And so it really like, you can never not spoil something. I think you can talk about it with people who've seen it, but you don't want to take away the entertainment value for somebody who hasn't seen a thing that they might actually like. So, yeah. On that note, you guys have anything else you want to talk about? Is there anything you can't let go? Something that you're stewing about? I think we're good. Let's go. We can't get in fleets while we're talking here. Okay, you're right. Let's go. Go fleet out. Oh, one last thing. One last thing. Plex prices, uh, injector prices. You know what? We can talk about that on the chill shows, which is usually what we do Tuesdays, Thursday mornings. So check those out, 1600. Have a live taker on the stream next time. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we go over economic news and stuff like that. So check that out. All right. That will be it for this week. I want to thank you, Carneros and Elise, for uh, sticking with me. And Jen, thanks for stopping in. No worries. Take care, Matt. Next week, we're going to have Elise, uh, sorry, Elo Knight. We'll have Elise, too, and Carneros, too. But we'll have Elo Knight and Pro God Legend on, and we'll talk about what's going on in Nulsec in the South. And until then, have a great week. We will see you next time on Talking in Stations.